You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1129 of the Lost on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening. And today's podcast is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is a new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't want or don't need. And it can even negotiate better deals on those that you want to keep. Today's podcast will chronicle what became a 98-96 loss for the Hawks at home against Philadelphia. A uh, slugfest, we'll say. A very slow-paced game. Lots of back and forth. The Hawks started slowly, played great in the middle of the game. In fact, overcoming an 11-point episode in the first quarter to lead for the vast majority of the second half of this game. If you watched it, you will know what I'm talking about. But the Hawks led all the way in the second half until the final minute of the contest. And then uh, basically the fourth quarter was an exercise in offensive collapse for the Hawks. You know, The Hawks have been so good on offense for the last few weeks in particular. Top three in the league on offense this year, but the fourth quarter, they just could not score. They scored nine points in the fourth quarter, which we'll get into uh, in more detail in a second, but that was why the Hawks lost this contest, and uh, with the loss, they're still in totally fine shape. They entered at 8-1 and one in the last nine games. They're 8-2 and two at home coming into the night, but um, and they were, again, in control of this one for a lot of the game, so a frustrating loss. I know Hawks fans, I kind of felt a little bit... Um, more angst in this one than I have, at least from the fan base, than I had in a while. Even when the Hawks were really scuffling on the West Coast trip, it was late at night. They were not quite as uh, close-fought games in a lot of those circumstances. It feels like this one was perhaps the most emotional loss of the season for Hawks fans, at least. I'm not sure if it was the case for the team, but definitely one that let, let they let get away in this contest. So we'll break it all down, and I'm sure it didn't help that it was an ESPN game, national TV, all that fun stuff. But we'll get into it, as we always do on the podcast. But please, please, please subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and we'll dive into the contest now. Um, coming into the game... Obviously, there's a rivalry of some sort between the Hawks and Sixers after last year's playoff series that the Hawks, of course, won in Philadelphia at the end of it. But Philadelphia came into this game 11-11 and on the season, but that's kind of misleading. They actually got blasted by COVID absences for like two weeks and really kind of cratered during that. But with Joel Embiid in the lineup, their best player by far, they're actually 8-4 and coming into the game, now 9-4. and So they're obviously a good team. Ben Simmons' situation is bizarre. But, um, you know, no rest advantage either side of this game. Um, both teams played on Wednesday. And then, of course, you know, the Hawks had home court in this contest. Just for some context, the Hawks got blasted in Philadelphia earlier this season. That was actually their most lopsided loss of the season at this point in time, um, on the scoreboard anyway. And they were three-and-a-half-point underdogs in that game in Philadelphia. They were narrow favorites in this one, actually, which we'll get into in a second. But that was kind of the backdrop. And, um, you know, going into this game, though, the injuries do matter for Atlanta. As if, you're, if you're not an everyday listener of the podcast, I definitely understand that. But... Worth noting, the Hawks were, again, without three of their top four wings in this contest. Cam Reddish was listed as questionable coming into the night with a wrist injury, that one that he's been uh, battling the last few games. And McMillan said this morning at shoot-around that he actually would be doubtful to play. And then within a couple hours after that, he was actually ruled out with a different ailment. He actually has a non-COVID illness on top of the wrist. So Cam did not play in this game. And obviously with Bogdanovich and Hunter still out of the lineup, the Hawks were shorthanded again in this contest. On the injury report, Philadelphia is supposed to be at full strength in this game, and Tobias Harris, their second-best player of the season, um, was scratched with a non-COVID illness of his own about two hours before tip-off, so that actually probably helped the Hawks out, considering you know Cam definitely would have helped, but Harris is uh, a very, very good player. 
and uh, kind of swung things towards the Hawks a little bit. In fact, our friends at Bellarmine AG made the Hawks two and a half point favorites at tip off. It was actually one and a half in the morning, but. All that said, a pretty narrow projection, but the Hawks were slightly favored in their home building. And, uh, you know, for a lot of this game, they were the better team. Uh, I will say at the outset, it's kind of a weird back and forth. The Hawks opened with a 6-0 mini run, and Philadelphia didn't score for almost three minutes at the outset. Um, they had Kevin Herter on Tyrese Maxey, Trey Young on, on Danny Green, and then TLC got the start again, second, second game in a row for the Hawks, and he was guarding Seth Curry. But then there was a big response by Philadelphia. Their best run of the game until the fourth quarter was this run that I'm about to talk about. A 17-3 push by the Sixers to go up by up by eight points. The Hawks turned it over on five consecutive possessions in the first quarter. You don't often see that. You'll see stretches of five, six, seven empty possessions where you kind of just create on offense. But five turnovers in a row is not uh, the usual, let's just say. The Hawks, at one point, actually, in the first six minutes of this game, had five turnovers no three-point attempts, and one free-throw attempt. So it was pretty rough, and John Collins, who had a great matchup in this game against a uh, short-handed Philadelphia forward rotation, was not really involved as much as he probably needed to be the entire way, but especially early on and in the fourth quarter. And you can kind of see, actually, almost directly in this game, when he was involved, the Hawks did a lot better work on offense, and when he wasn't, they kind of uh, cratered a little bit. Um, the Hawks didn't score in terms of a field goal for about four minutes or so in that first quarter run, and Capella had some foul trouble. They had to go to Gorgie Jang for the first time in a while to, against uh, Joel Embiid just for size reasons. And then rotationally, uh, it was DeLon Wright and Gallinari as the first subs, other than Jang, DeLon playing the wing again as he was the other night. They actually used a Trey Young, Lou Williams, DeLon Wright lineup all together um, for the first time this season. Um, some desperation there for sure between the uh, foul trouble and the injuries, uh, TLC had two fouls as well. I didn't like going to that lineup, to be honest with you, but I at least understood it to some level because of uh, how ugly it had been. And then they went to a full bench group to close the first quarter. First time in a while on that as well, with the foul trouble for Capella, they went to Williams, Wright, Solomon Hill, Gallinari, and Gorgie Jang together. I would have gone back to Collins just to anchor that unit because um, they didn't want to risk Capella for, injury, uh, for foul trouble reasons. But the offense picked up a little bit later in the quarter until Trey Young sat at, le at least, but the defense kind of suffered. They trailed by as many as 11 points in the first quarter, um, and that was going to be 11 until Gallinari drew a foul with .7 to go in the first quarter to get it down to 9, but they actually shot 50% from the floor in the first quarter and still trailed by 9 points because they turned them all over 7 times. That's uh, a lot, let's just say, for, for a quarter. Um I will say, aesthetically, it was probably the worst quarter I can remember for the Hawks in a while on offense, at least until the fourth quarter tonight. Um, they just didn't have much in the way of anything going. We, you know, they made some shots, but they were stagnant. Ball security was bad, etc. Um, Decision-making stuff, process stuff. It wasn't just bad shot-making. You know, again, they, they made shots. They just did not um, generate good looks and also uh, pass the ball very well in that opening period. Um, they had a lot of a 130 defensive rating um, in the first quarter as well with Seth Curry getting off. And honestly, it was a pretty brutal performance in the first quarter overall. And I was hoping, beyond hope, that I would not have to talk about anything worse than that. But the fourth quarter is coming. At any rate, I'll fly through the second quarter a little bit here. Um, mercifully, they went back to college to start the second quarter with the bench, and the results were immediately improved. They had a 9-0 run, including the first seven points of the second quarter to cut the deficit down to two. The Sixers kind of went, cold, went, went colder in that stretch as well. Gallinari, I thought, was really, really good in that stint. Um, he had nine points in a hurry, had a nice pass to DeLon Wright, um, had a nice ISO over Danny Green, in which he shot it pretty quickly and just used that size advantage that he has. Um, the deficit was kind of erased with the bench on the floor, which is obviously a good sign. Um, they kind of went some weird substitution patterns because of the foul trouble. They actually 
took Gallinari out of the game for about 40 seconds to give John Collins a blow, and they brought him, uh, it, it sort of brought him back. Um, it was kind of an interesting stagger through there. They kind of needed Collins uh, to have a break of some kind because he was anchoring the, sec- the second year, but definitely a little bit of weird staggering. Gallinari looked gassed at one point, but overall, the Hawks had a 24-6 overall run to go from down 11 to up 7, and uh, that was uh, pretty impressive. Philadelphia was actually 1 of 11 from the floor during that stretch. Um, they snuck Gallinari back in the game late in the first half, but Philadelphia didn't score their 10th point of the second quarter until 58 seconds to go. So the crater quarter in this game, was for Philadelphia anyway, was the second. Um, they made a jump shot in their last possession of the second quarter, um, but overall, the Hawks held them to 13 points. Um, there was a, a technical foul by Trey Young, in that stretch, he got hit in the head by Tyrese Maxey on a drive. Uh, one of the call was very demonstrative about it. Uh, he was right. It was it was a foul, although, you know, obviously a free point for Philadelphia that he was arguing. Still, though, in the first half, the Hawks' offensive numbers looked great, despite the really, really bad first quarter. They were so good in the second that they were able to uh, sort of paper over that. Um, in a game the Hawks scored 96 points in, they scored 65 in the middle of two quarters, which is crazy. They won the quarter 30-13. to 13. In a second, Gallinari had an awesome first half with 13 points. Trey had 14 and 5, and they held the Sixers down in terms of their overall performance on offense. They were 5 of 20 from the floor in the second quarter um, and actually had 13 points, but one of those was a free point with technical foul. So overall, it was a tale of two quarters to be sure in the first couple for the Hawks. A pretty ugly one in the first, a great one in the second, and the net result of that was the Hawks taking a lead into halftime. Obviously, they did not hold that lead in this game, but there was some reason to be optimistic. And even in the third quarters, we'll get into it in a second, um, they played well and did enough, and then it just kind of stopped in the fourth. Um, with all that said, we will tease that along a little bit, but I promise we'll dive into the second half in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam that's out to get you. Don't let corporate greed pocket your money. Instead, download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, don't want, or simply forgot about. On average, people can save $720 a year with Truebill, and because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there right with you when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. And Truebill is awesome for someone like me who has a ton of subscriptions across the landscape. Sports makes it so I have to keep a wide swath of information. It's really, really valuable to have Truebill to make sure that I don't get bamboozled. Truebill has over 2 million users and it's helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now to Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands per year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, second half was obviously not as good for the Hawks in a lot of ways, but the third quarter was actually a winning quarter for the Hawks, 35-34 in favor of Atlanta. A lot of offense. It was by far the fastest paced and most offensively prolific on both sides for um, you know both the Hawks and the Sixers. And it was kind of a back and forth. There was some foul trouble again for the Hawks. Uh, DeLon Wright came in pretty early. Um, Kevin Hurd got a technical foul, actually, in the first couple minutes for arguing call. Um, TLC got his fourth foul, so they brought in DeLon. I thought he actually was good in this game. DeLon Wright was. I kind of even wanted more of him down the stretch. But Philadelphia scored as many points, uh, which was 13, by the way, in the first three and a half minutes of the third quarter, as they did in the entire second quarter. They got the lead down to one for the Hawks at one point, um, despite um, the fourth foul for Joel Embiid. Some early sub stuff from the Hawks as well, getting Collins out and then back in again to anchor when Capella left the court. Um, the Hawks had a nice 10-0 run, though, 
mid-quarter to go from up one back up to up 11. Uh, Trey had one in transition to force a timeout. Um, and then Gallagher had a three out of the break. And Flea didn't score for about three minutes. And the Hawks at that point were 10 of 19 from three and really cooking. Gallinari actually had 16 points on his first nine shooting possessions. He was really, really hot at that point in time. He cooled off a lot from there, by the way. Um, there was an enormous dunk from John Collins on Gorgie, on not Gorgie, um, George Niang, I should say. They're spelled similarly. Uh, Niang was kind of bothering Hawks fans throughout the night for his uh, flopping tendencies and the way that he plays, and uh, that was a monster moment for Collins. Another assist by uh, Trey Young, by the way, who was definitely dominating the uh, pick-and-roll defense from the Sixers for most of this game as well. Um, there was a challenge late in the third by Nate McMillan that I want to at least note. Trey Young actually committed his fourth foul on the play. I thought it was the right call to not overturn it. Um, I'm not sure if it was gonna, if, if I thought it was actually a foul, but it wasn't enough to overturn in my mind. Um, a good challenge, though, at least a reasonable one, in that you know, anytime it's Trey's fourth foul and it's close enough, go ahead and see if it's uh, high leverage enough to uh, get it flipped, and it wasn't quite there yet. The Hawks, though, led by nine at the end of the third quarter because of the offense. Um, Trey had a had a bunch of passing uh, moments, including a, a late one to Collins. Um, the Hawks were actually dominating in the non-Joel Embiid minutes in the first three quarters, and that actually continued the entire game. In fact, the Hawks were plus 13 whenever Joel Embiid was off the floor in the game, but they still lost by by two because Embiid was plus 15 when he was on the floor. Um, So that brings us to the fourth quarter. And as I sort of spoiled earlier, and I'm sure if you watched this game you would know, but if you didn't, uh, I'm sure you've heard by now, the fourth quarter was uh, all-time bad for the Hawks in a lot of different ways. Um, I think it's, it was John Schubert of NBA.com that put it this way, but <laughs> the Hawks with a nine-point lead heading into the fourth quarter, if I tell you that they only allow 20 points in the fourth, the odds of the Hawks losing in regulation are, you know, sky high. But it took them not scoring really at all in the fourth quarter to lose this game. So um, they went with, with Capella plus bench at the start of the fourth quarter, which, by the way, I have no issue with. I, I saw some people uh, sort of upset by that. That's been a lineup that they've used pretty regularly the last couple of weeks, and uh, it didn't go super well early on, but they were actually able to hold up because of the defense. Um, at one point, it was 6-5 to five Hawks. Yes, 6-5 to five Hawks after about five minutes in the uh, first, uh, sorry, in the fourth quarter. Um, neither team could score at all. They brought... Young and Herter back in with the Hawks up by eight. So there was some frustration, um, even a question for Nate McMillan after the game um, about you know how long Young and Collins in particular, but it was Young, Herter, and Collins because actually Herter came back in before Collins did, um, sat on the bench. But when Young came back in, the Hawks were up by eight. So it wasn't as if they gave the lead away. In fact, they only gave, they only shaved one point off the lead with Trey off the bench. Um, sorry, with Trey on the bench, and then three points off the lead with Collins on the bench. Um, could they have brought them in sooner? Yes. But I will note, I said this on Twitter, um, those guys, at least uh, Young and Herder, were, were at the table for like two full minutes. There just wasn't a stoppage. So he sent him to the table with like eight minutes to go, maybe eight and a half minutes to go. And McMillan said in his answer when he was asked about it, um, and this is accurate, you know, he, Trey played the entire third quarter, and Collins played 11 minutes in the third quarter. He has to sit at some point. And I, I'm a big advocate of playing Trey as much as he can play. He played 36 minutes in this game. It wasn't like they didn't, they didn't play him enough. I think Collins could have played more. In this contest, which is probably my, my bigger thing, is just a lack of Collins deployment in general and, and sort of usage. But I didn't bump too much on that, I will say, uh, even if it was as sort of a talking point after the game. Um, Philadelphia had, had a run that started with those guys, um, basically when they came back in the game, honestly, to get it back down to one with 4.30 to go. The Hawks didn't score for about three and a half minutes. They had five points in the first eight minutes of the quarter. 
We'll get into the stats of the fourth quarter overall. But defensively, it wasn't like terrible. There were some bad moments, including a breakdown in which they lost Seth Curry for a layup in that stretch. And Trey was kind of the last guy that could have stopped him. And he kind of stayed with Matisse Teibel for some reason in the corner. Other than, you know, I'm not sure if he would have stopped Seth Curry. To be fair, it wasn't like Trey's breakdown, but it was kind of a full, I would say, full defense meltdown. At times, even though, again, they held the Sixers to 20 points, so it's hard to pick on the defense, let's just say, in the fourth quarter. Um, from there, I won't do the entire play-by-play, but Trey had a couple of actually mid-range jump shots. Uh, he had one, one mid-ranger and then a floater, I should say, to go from up one to up five that prompted a timeout. And honestly, at that point, it felt like the Hawks were going to escape. They'd given the lead away, but Trey made those two shots. They were back up by five in a good position with three and a half minutes to go. Uh, I said this in the moment as well, and I'll say it again here. I would have closed with DeLon Wright in this game. I'm not sure if that would have fixed everything, but I thought DeLon was really good and just kind of a better matchup in some ways than TLC. And I'm not criticizing TLC necessarily. He missed one big shot, which we'll talk about in a second. But I would have gone with Wright down the stretch, just something that I wanted to note um, on my own observation. But coming out of that ATO, they got Seth Curry around the curl and he buried it and he's a great shooter and a great off ball player. And that was a, that was just a great individual play. It wasn't even bad, badly defended by the Hawks. They just made a big shot. Um, and that made it a two point game. Then Trey misses a scoop shot. Capella misses a tip in and we'll come back to that too. He was not good in this game. Uh, and B then hits a jump shot and it's tied. So all the gains that you had are gone and it's a tie game with two and a half minutes to go. Kind of a disastrous four possession stretch two on offense, two on defense. Uh, after that, they got a good look from TLC. I thought, you know, a quality, a quality shot that he has to take from three, just missed it. Um, and then Embiid, though, they actually good to be uh, probably the best defensive trip for Capella in a while um, on Embiid to force a bad jump shot that he missed. Um, then Trey missed a jump shot, and that was the fifth straight miss from the Hawks in this stretch, and including three in a row from Trey Young uh, since they went up by five. And then after a timeout, Philly had the ball in a tie game. They actually got, the Hawks got pretty lucky. Um, Curry, who's one of the best shooters in the league, missed a wide open three on that possession. But the Hawks failed to get the defensive rebound, and uh, at the end of that, Embiid score with 42 seconds to go. And suddenly the Hawks are down by two after all that. That was the first time in the entire second half that the Hawks trailed, and it was with 42 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Um, I thought that would have been a good time to get Trey off the court defensively because they had a timeout that they actually used right after that. So if you're going to call a timeout, um, get Trey out of there when – now, the other, the other thing would be that it was a tie game, so maybe you want Trey on the floor, if you get a stop, to push it down their throat. So it wasn't like a you know terrible scenario to play Trey, but I thought it was at least noteworthy that I would have at least thought about putting Trey on the bench during that defensive only possession, alas. Um, coming out of that, the Hawks down by two again. Um, Trey nearly turned it over on his own, then kind of flipped it to Collins, who had nowhere to go. It was like he caught it in a terrible position. I will say he could have made a better play than he did, but he turned the ball over as well. So it was like an almost turnover, then a turnover, and then uh, Philly had a foul to give. <laughs> we'll get we'll get into that in a second. Um, they they turned that over. Sorry, I, I should note that Embiid missed a shot that could have put the game away, and he and he didn't make it. So Hawks get the ball back with nine seconds to go. Philly had a foul to give and gave it with two and a half seconds to go. And honestly, the Hawks might have got lucky that they gave that foul because it was a broken possession and Trey was facing away from the rim with two seconds to go from like 35 feet. And he could have turned around and probably, you know, shot a deep one. But um, that actually gave the Hawks a chance to dial something up. It was kind of a handoff potential um, play by Gallinari. They got a decent look, given there was two seconds to go. Gallinari, you know, is obviously huge and there was a contest, but he's able to make that shot. Um, sometimes it was, a, you know, got to the rim, just didn't make it. 
And the Hawks, uh, you know, after leading again by 23 for 23 minutes in a row in the second half, lose this game at the end. Uh, we'll get into like all of the mess that was the fourth quarter and all of the numbers, and uh, I will spend some time on the fourth quarter in particular um, in a second. But uh, I'll just, just say this as a uh, as a sort of teaser through the commercial break. Um, the Hawks scored nine points in the fourth quarter, their worst offensive quarter of the season. And they scored four points in the last seven minutes and 50 seconds. So, stew on that for a second. Uh, my apologies on what I'm going to have to do uh, and sort of digging into that in a moment. But before we do that, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Built Bar. It's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. This is something that's totally delicious. You feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most Built Bars have only 130 calories and four grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut built bar. Go for a raspberry built bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie, and they're low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built bar is a great option for when you're hungry. Go for a built bar or two. Share some of your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a built bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly, so check out the site often. And for now, you can go to built.com, use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off in your next order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50% off at built.com. All right, so I would normally finish up the takeaways before I go to that break that we just went to, but uh, taking you behind the curtain, there's just too much to get into, uh, unfortunately. I have to unpack. It's part of the part of the gig to kind of relive um, the ugliness of this. But in the fourth quarter, I thought in general in the fourth, and we'll get into specifics, um, the Hawks could not figure out Philadelphia's physicality. And McMillan said that. Uh, I believe Trey did as well, that they were just not, you know, Philadelphia was more physical in the game and they kind of got flustered on some level in the fourth quarter. And that's definitely true. There's also some just misses and stuff like that that happens. And it was kind of that, you know, that full formula of what transpired. But they changed the pick and roll coverage a little bit more. They were more aggressive. And the Hawks just couldn't uh, really solve it. But again, nine points in the fourth. Their previous low for any quarter this season, the Hawks, was 15 points. So they scored six fewer points than that. And uh, not that it is going to dictate anything, but it was this is a national TV game. It was a fourth quarter, and it was also against a team that uh, you were certainly competing with directly in the playoff chase. So all that put together is kind of why it's such a uh, high profile and also a, a vexing period. Um, four points in the last eight minutes, obviously rough, but for the entire fourth quarter, the Hawks shot three of 20 from the floor, O of seven from three. They had zero assists in the fourth quarter and four turnovers. Now, the turnovers is not that bad. Four and a quarter is, like, pretty normal. But um, it was not even just one individual or two individuals or three individuals. It was kind of a team effort in the fourth quarter. Gallinari, who was awesome for two and a half quarters, was 0-5 in the fourth. Lou Williams was 1-5 in the fourth. Capella was 0-3, and they were all close to the rim. Trey Young, who made his first two shots, and he, those, by the way, those were two of the three field goals in the quarter, he missed his last three shots and had a couple of shaky plays. So it wasn't like it was, again, one guy. It was everybody in the fourth quarter. Um, the, I didn't love the substitution pattern stuff in the fourth. I think it was a little bit overblown in terms of when they brought Trey back in. But the offense-defense stuff, not going back to DeLon, um, they could have maybe tried Gallo on an offense-only possession at one point when they were kind of needing to score and uh, maybe even maybe at the three because of who they didn't have and who they had. That's some creativity. I'm not going to pick on Nate for not doing it, but that would have been a potential option. I will um, sort of hat tip that to Jared Duman, front of the podcast, who pointed that out. Like, yeah, I mean, with Tybal on the court for Philadelphia, you could have maybe gone bigger. And Gallo did have it going a little bit and is more of an offensive threat than any of the wings they had other than Kevin Herter, of course. At any rate... Um, this is kind of a crazy stat. You have to think about it to have it sink in, but 
I want you to think about it. The Hawks had their worst shooting second half of the season, 31.6% from the floor. Um, that's obviously bad, but this is the kicker. They shot 51%, 51% in the third quarter. So they shot excellently in the third quarter, and the fourth quarter was so bad that it was their worst shooting half of the season. So that tells you how bad the fourth quarter was. For the game, um, the offense was great in the second and third quarters. That has to be noted. Like Even in a slow-paced game, the Hawks were really, really scoring at a high level for you know quote-unquote half of the game. It just happened to be the middle half instead of the first or the second. Um, they ended up at about a 104 offensive rating, which when you factor in how bad the fourth quarter was, it's not that bad. And Philadelphia's pretty good on defense in a lot of ways. They turned the ball over way too much. 16 ties, but only nine in the last three quarters. They had seven in the first quarter, which is obviously a mess, but that wasn't really the issue. Ball security was not the problem after the first quarter. They got to the line 30 times, and in a game with this slow of a pace, that's a huge thing. The Hawks have not gotten the line a ton this year, and they were able to do that in this game. Uh, 20 assists, though, that's obviously below where you would want only 10 for anyone but Trey, so I would say passing was a weakness overall in this game. You know, Trey had a bunch of awesome plays, as he always does, but the team-wide passing was not at its best level. Defensively, they held the Sixers to a 107 offensive rating, and honestly, that's enough to win most nights. The Hawks' offense is better than that, um, particularly in their home building. But they did a good job on the, on the defensive glass. They held them to 22 three-point attempts in the game, too. So, like, on the margin, they did a pretty good job. And again, the defense was good enough to win. Um, they struggled to stop Embiid, which we'll get into in a second with Capella, but they did a decent job on Maxi. Seth Curry is, um, I'd say, usually or regularly bitten the Hawks that happened in this game as well, but they didn't get torched too badly by really anyone. It's just that the offense did not give them what they had to have. And, you know, beyond the, I, I know there are definitely some fans that don't dig into the numbers as much as I do on the show. Uh, here's a simpler way. The Hawks losing a game in which the opponent scores under a hundred points uh, is not something that usually happens on this team. So at any rate, um, from there, we'll get into the player breakdowns before we get out of here on the podcast, and I'll try to be quick on these uh, as to not let everybody reliving the nightmare that was this game. Um, overall, the bench, other than Gorgie Jang, everyone on the bench was in the positive because, again, the Hawks dominated with a beat off the floor. So that second unit versus second unit was uh, in favor of the Hawks. Jang played five minutes in this game, did his job. He wasn't great by any means, but they had to play him, I thought, at that point because of the Capella injury, and uh, not injury, Capella foul trouble, and because Collins had already played 10 straight minutes or so when that happened, so they had to kind of, they couldn't just keep, they couldn't just lean heavily on Collins that entire time. It was the best time to play Gorgie. It's that matchup against Embiid, etc. He came in, wasn't great, but I understand it. Um, I thought DeLon Wright was awesome in this game despite only taking two shots, but two points, Six rebounds, four assists, three steals, no turnovers, plus 10. He was very good. Just filling in the gaps. Uh, 29 minutes, I believe, is a season high for DeLon. He played extremely well, I thought. Um, it was kind of the uh, the peak of what DeLon Wright can do. He's not going to score a ton for you or run your offense a ton, but just playing good defense, passing the ball, um, getting in passing lanes, rebounding, gang rebounding, all that stuff. So he, he did a great job in this game. He was one of the brighter spots, I thought. For the Hawks, Lou Williams had a mixed bag night. He had some moments when he was making shots. He had two threes and got to the line for three free throw attempts. Had 11 points in 17 minutes, but five turnovers in 17 minutes. That is not going to work. And then defensively, it was really rough from Lou. Um, so how is a guy a huge negative in my mind while having 11 points in 17 minutes? Uh, this is this is how. So five turnovers and bad defense. You know, Lou had some moments, but it was not a good night for him, I don't think, overall. Solomon Hill, I thought, played fine. Two points, plus six, three rebounds. 
um, made his one two-point attempt, 0-1 on on threes, uh, played less than everybody else except for Gorgie Jane, which is probably the way it should work, but he filled in the gas, played defensively decently against uh, against Seth Curry, and uh, I thought, you know, kind of just plug and play, did his job. Gallinari, it was a tale of uh, two different games. His numbers on the whole for the game don't look quite as good as he actually played. I thought pretty easily the first half on Friday was his best half of the season. Um, he had more juice. He was playing harder. He was handling the ball better, using his dribble a little bit more, using his size. Um, you know, the, the flip side would be that this is a great matchup for both power forwards. The Philadelphia have basically only had one power forward in Yang, and he's kind of undersized. They had no backup, so that was uh, an advantage for sure. But Gallinari took advantage of it. Um, he was 0-5 in the fourth quarter, which is certainly an asterisk on his performance. But even with that, 18 points on 15 shooting possessions is more than good enough. But coming into the fourth, it was 18 points on 12 shooting possessions. No, sorry, on 10 shooting possessions. He was awesome before the fourth quarter. Eight rebounds, three assists, and still was, still was plus 11. Just not quite as good when you factor in the fourth quarter collapse. To the starters. Uh, TLC. Quiet night, 18, 18 minutes, had four fouls, had lots of foul trouble, was 0-2 from three. Again, missed a pretty good look in the last three minutes. Not his fault that he uh, took it. It was a good shot. It just didn't go in. Um, low usage player for sure, and obviously they would prefer not to have to start him right now, but it's basically um, limited options. And I thought defensively he did fine. Uh, he played pretty well, just not offensively giving you much at all. Uh, Kevin Herter. I thought it was okay. Uh, wasn't great either, but had 12 points, two assists, two rebounds, two of six from the floor. Sorry, two of six from three, four of nine from the floor. Just got the line for two free throw attempts. Was fine. Did a decent job on uh, on Maxi, who he was put on. I actually probably would have gone with Herter on Curry a little bit more, but uh, he did a good job on Maxi, who had been Maxi's been playing well for them this year. So um, kudos to Herter on defense at least. And it was not like a you know A plus performance. I thought it was probably like a B performance from Kevin Herter, but totally fine. Um, all right, we'll be a little bit negative here. Uh, Capella was not good. Uh, I am the first to praise Capella when he is good. I have um, extolled the virtues of Clint Capella for a long time now. I thought last year he was tremendous. I think he's been a big part of the Hawks turning it around this year and playing so much better. And it's kind of easy to see when he plays well, the Hawks do well for the most part. In this game, he was not good. Uh, six points, 11 rebounds is obviously totally fine. And then I do think that, you know, McMillan kind of came to his defense a little bit post-game and talking about the way he made life hard on Embiid. I would kind of agree with that. I think Capella's defense was not a problem in this game. Was it like his normal A-plus best? No. But I think he did a, at least did a credible job on Embiid, who wasn't like super efficient. Embiid, um, 28 points, but had 27 shooting possessions. So it wasn't like he was dominating the game. Um, There was times when he was. But Capella, I thought, was at least frisky defensively. Um, but he wasn't playing super tough, and offensively, oof, I mean, what do you even say? Two away from the floor for Capella on his shot diet is just not tenable, and then two of five on free throws. So six points on ten and a half, maybe eleven shooting possessions is uh, obviously bad, um, and a couple of just you know high-profile bunnies that he missed in this game, and just wasn't um, you know his normal physical self. So. Does that mean he's bad now? No, it doesn't. And Embiid's a tough matchup, which Nate said, and all that stuff. I don't, I don't want to write off Capella, who's been really good the last few weeks. But it was a rough night for him, and that was one of the reasons why the Hawks were able to hold on in this game. And then Collins and Young will end there. Um, I'll go to Trey first. 25 points, 10 assists for Young. Four turnovers. 
you know, again, he was O of his last three coming down the stretch, which um, actually happened Wednesday too. He actually missed his last six shots on Wednesday. So uh, a little bit of a cold snap for Trey in the fourth quarter. He's been so good all year long and deserving of all the plaudits that he's been getting. You know, I, I said, uh, I think it was on Twitter, maybe on the podcast, that if the season ended today, he'd be first-team All-NBA in my mind, and that's that's true. I think he's been awesome. This is not his best night, um, nor was it his worst night. Um, you know, he lost it a little bit down the stretch, but I thought he competed defensively for the most part, had a couple of uh, nice wall-up moments um, in one-on-one situations, got his hands in passing lanes. Uh, he competed for the most part, a couple of bad transition moments, as he's often could have, but I thought Trey was... Uh, he was okay. He wasn't like A plus Trey, um, nor was he, you know, D minus Trey. He was kind of just in the middle, and um, obviously it's a great credit to him. They got 25 and 10 while not playing his best game, but that did happen, I think, in this game. And then Collins rounding it out with 18 points, eight rebounds, two blocks, and a steal. Um, good defense all night long. He was the best plus minus of the stars at minus two in this game. Um, efficient, six of nine from the floor, two of five from three. Four four on twos, by the way, um, through that lens. Um, what bothers me in this game is not necessarily on Collins. Um, we talked about this a little bit coming into the night on Twitter, and there was a discussion about it. I mentioned it with Gallo as well, but this is an extremely favorable matchup for the Hawks at power forward in particular because of what the Sixers didn't have with Tobias Harris and with Paul Reed in the G League, all this stuff. I won't go down the rabbit hole, but to have Collins not attempt a single shot in the first like seven, eight minutes of this game, and they went away from him in the fourth quarter as well, that is a little bit frustrating in my mind. Um, you know, part of that you could say is him not, you know, being quite as aggressive at different times. But I will definitely say this: I believe it's a usage issue. They just kind of don't call things for him enough. They don't initiate things for him enough. And as simple as this, the Hawks could have, I thought, dominated the game by just going pick and roll with Trey and John. And you can't always do that. It's not always that simple. But given what they were facing in this game. I didn't understand it, to be honest. Um, and in the fourth quarter, John Collins takes no shots and only plays six minutes. Now, the six minutes is because he had to sit because he played the entire third quarter, and I get that. But to have John Collins not attempt a shot in the fourth quarter of this game is just wild. It is. Um, so you could certainly argue amongst yourselves on uh, whose fault that is, whether it's Nate, whether it's the system design, whether it's just not running for him, running stuff for him, not whether he was coming, in, coming at the ball, all that stuff. But... Um, my one gripe, I thought Collins played great in this game for the most part, um, was just the fact that they did not get him the ball enough. And that's been a theme at times in his career, and it was the theme in this game as well. Would that have fixed everything? Not necessarily, but uh, kind of a fourth quarter collapse for the ages for the Hawks in this game. I don't want to overstate it. Part of my uh, mindset and my role here is to not go crazy when things like this happen. Um, you know, you could say that they were due for a, a hiccup like this, but still it was maddening in the moment national audience, all that fun stuff. And this is a game they needed to win. No question about that. They're still in fine position. They're 12 and 11. They're eight and three at home. Uh, this is not a game that's going to like bite them necessarily, but it's just one of those things where this is one they had in their hands, had in their grasp, led for 23 straight minutes in the second half, etc., and uh, let it get away. So that's enough on that, I believe for this podcast and this week of podcasts, but uh, hopefully you, um, if you didn't enjoy the game, obviously, I think if you're a Hawks fan, you probably didn't enjoy the game, but if at least you can uh, appreciate the breakdown and perhaps share it with your friends, please tell a friend about the podcast. I know probably a lot of people listened um, to this podcast, but I'm sure even more of them maybe downloaded, hopefully, if they are subscribers to the podcast and do want to listen to this. Um, because, you know, candidly, after a loss, usually the numbers are a little bit down because that's what people, people don't like to listen about losses. And I get that. So 
Um, with that said, the best thing you can do to support the podcast is to subscribe to the show. Unsubscribe, resubscribe, game system, um, use whatever platform of choice, whether it be Stitcher or Odyssey or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Pick your favorite two, three, four <laughs> um, podcast players and download it all. That definitely helps us as well. But please follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Please follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And uh, last thing, the Hawks return to action on Sunday. It's actually a back-to-back Sunday and Monday. They play at home on Sunday, 6 p.m. start, just a PSA, an early tip against the Hornets. And then they go on the road, back-to-back, play Monday in Minnesota, 8 o'clock start against the Wolves, and then they have three days off again. So some weird scheduling once again for the Hawks, but we'll have all of that coverage coming to you on this feed. So please, please, please subscribe, and we'll see you after the game on Sunday evening.